Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome to your weekly film fix. It is We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden and coming up very shortly, we'll have a round of all the big movie stories from the week. Plus on the review front, it's finally hitting cinemas is the drama don't worry darling and there's been more drama around the film than the actual story itself so they finally figure out what's going on with that film and can Harry Styles act that's all to come very shortly on We Love Movies We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin you are listening to We Love Movies I'm Gordon Hayden I'm joined as always each and every week by Olivia Fahey Chris Wasser and Andy McCarroll it is our movie chats time and we're going to kick off uh, with some movie news and M. Night Shyamalan he's just finished work on a new thriller horror it's called Knock at the Cabin it stars Dave Batista. before we chat about it here's a little bit from it your family has been chosen to make a horrible decision if you fail to choose the world will end So there's a little bit from this apocalyptic sounding uh, new horror from M. Night Shyamalan. Um, he's, of course, written it. He's directed it. And it's getting got this interesting premise to it. Uh, Chris, are you a fan of uh, M. Night Shyamalan? I am a fan of M. Night Shyamalan. Um, and I think recently, Gordon, I've actually come to uh, accept that, you know, his dialogue will never be, you know, a, a strong point for him. Uh, you know, his his twist endings are just spectacularly stupid. And, you know, the characters in the films aren't that believable. But I think once you accept all of that, you can actually start to enjoy his films a little bit more. And and I only started doing that with Old, uh, which I only caught up with in, in the last couple of months. And Old was released, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. That was his last one. And again, had this re- really odd but 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 interesting premise that you know uh there's this vacation spot that a family goes to uh they're on this beach that they've never heard of before um there are a bunch of other people there and over the course of one day everybody starts to age you know decades um and it is a really you know it's a curious plot point and it's a great plot for for, for horror but it's the it's the usual kind of things that let down an emily Shyamalan film where people speak to each other and behave in ways that regular, you know, real people don't. So that used to annoy me about so many of his films, but then I just kind of, you know, just sat back and thought, look, this is going to be silly. I might enjoy it for what it is. And it looks, and it looks like knock at the cabin is going to be another case of that. You know, you've got this ridiculous setup where a family have gone to this cabin in the woods for a lovely little holiday. And all of a sudden people knock at the door, you know, strap them to chairs and say, you're going to have to make this impossible choice. Uh, I I think the family is presented with a sort of a Sophie's Choice scenario um, if you want to avert an apocalypse. I watched the trailer this morning and I thought, it's Dave Batista. It's a ridiculous setup. It's M. Night Shyamalan. I can't wait. I can't wait for the stupidity. Andy, we have to bring in because if, if Dave Batista has a cheerleader, it's your good self. And um, and and looks like as well, Andy, he's gone a little bit method for this role because Dave is not his usual trim self. He's that uh, sounds like he's been uh, well, he looks like he's uh, been dining out on a few pies. You can say that to him. I certainly wouldn't. I say swallows the gold and size of the prize. And Dave Batista is definitely getting gold in that. I am all in for this. I 
I really want to like M. Night Shyamalan. He has so many of these high concept films, you know, The Sixth Sense, Signs, even when he kind of goes smaller, like The Visit, which I think this is the one kind of reminds me the most of. Old, I absolutely hated. Glass, I thought was atrocious, but Split was good. So he's kind of due a good one now. It's usually, you know, two bad, one good. Batista, I love, as we've said many, many times, I love that he challenges himself. Like he's working with people like, like Denny Villeneuve, Ryan Johnson, Taika Waititi, James Gunn, and now you know M Night Shyamalan, and you've also got Jonathan Groff as well in the cast. Anyone who's who's watched Mindhunter, he's absolutely fantastic actor as well. The concept is good, but as we've seen with so many of M Night Shyamalan's, he he does like Stephen King. You know, the idea sounds great, but the execution tends to be lacking. But I'm hoping with you know Batista hasn't let me down so far in anything, and Jonathan Groff, I think you know one of the I'd say the only good thing to come out of that recent Matrix movie as well. Fills me with a lot of hope. And like any Shyamalan trailer, I'm ready to get hurt again. And with the trailer, it kind of kicks off with uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band song, Boogie Shoes, Olivia. And we see it's a gay couple and their daughter. And again, it'll be an interesting sort of chamber piece that's going to play out within the film and what decision they're going to have to make. That's going to be really, really intriguing. But to see, like old, sometimes his ideas sound great on paper if they were to be like a half hour Twilight Zone episode. Sometimes you stretch them out then to an hour and a half or so, they kind of start to get very, very creaky. But one thing that M. Night Shyamalan has done is he's decided to stay in his lane and I think probably been badly burned from like the last airbender and uh, even after Earth, he kind of seems that, well, you know what? People like me doing the supernatural thriller thriller thing. So that's probably where I'm best at. And um, what are your hopes for this film? Do you think uh, it might suffer from being maybe overstretched? Oh, potentially, because at the end of the day, we've just seen it so many times. And as Andy said, it's like... It- you're just nearly setting yourself up for for hurt, for heartbreak. Um, I myself was a massive fan. And then, of course, we had a series of flops and terribleness and disappointment. So it, it is hard to get excited about a film by M. Night at the moment. But the fact that it is Bautista, the fact that it is Groff, who I love how Andy was trying to compare him, or and he says, oh, we know him from Mindhunter or The Matrix, when really what he was trying to say was Hamilton and uh, Glee. <laughs> but I I just think with the cast like that being attached to it, that to me says there must be something special about this because we also know that they wouldn't sign up to just any old nonsense. So I'm hopeful purely just based on the fact that he has, a, he has assembled a good cast, but I'm also kind of like going in with like a trepidation, shall we say. Well, Knock at the Cabin, uh, that is due for release, I think next year now at this point. Um, but I cannot wait to see it. I am an M. Night Shyamalan fan. Even when he did have his slip there, I thought he'll eventually come good again. But you're right, he does He does need to knock it out of the park fairly soon. So hopefully this film will be it. But on reserve judgment. Um, just looking at some other uh, film news this week. Um, the Twitter, was, James Bond was trending and uh, there's been a lot of talk about them going younger. And Andy, it seems like that will be the case because the Bond producers, whoever they get, they want their next Bond to be in it for the long run. Yeah. Um, Barbara Buckley has said that it's going to be a 10 to 12 year commitment. So that rules out you know, people like Idris Elba, who've been long champion for the role. So they're looking for somebody who's going to you know build a franchise around for at least the next decade. And we've seen like pretty much the end of every Daniel Craig film. He's like, I don't want to do this again. Get me away from it. They back up the Brinks truck full of money. And he's like, maybe I'll do one more. So I think they need someone who isn't 
quite a superstar yet, but someone who is known enough that people go, oh yeah, I'm happy enough to see that. I'm still still hoping against hope that my Barry Cowan idea comes true because if they're going younger, you need someone who's a bit different to Cray because if you go to kind of the Henry Cavill is the other favor for that or, you know, Sam Hewan, you're, you're going for someone who's already in that mold of Daniel Craig and it's kind of more the same, which to be fair, has been very successful for them. But I think if you put Barry Keown, he's one of them that you could kind of put in any era. Like if you've done a 70s reboot of Bond, you'd see him in that. And I also like the idea of this kind of more vicious, newer Bond. Like Barry Keown looks the sort who, you know, went to a private school but got kicked out because he ripped the eyes out of somebody. And I think that's what you want from James Bond in the new to kind of differentiate it from this, you know, talking a suit that Craig was doing. Like it'd be interesting to see, Chris, where they do go with this Bond. Like essentially, obviously, if anyone has seen the last film, they're going to very much reboot it. And I think it would it would seem that the Daniel Craig Bond films, they just exist in their own universe. And then all the other films are in that universe, as it were. So they now have a clean slate to work with Bond and then hit the reset button. Do you think that this might see more of a genesis of the character? Like, if, for example, if you were one of the Bond producers, where would you like the character to go? I'd go way back. I'd, you know, maybe even uh, switch from the big screen to the small screen and develop a series around the young James Bond and develop a series around the young James Bond's days in the Navy and how, you know, he's not, he's always been, maybe up until the Daniel Craig films, which the Daniel Craig films were never really as as, as groundbreaking as they could have been. Yes, they, they, they saved the franchise. And I do believe he is one of, if not the, you know, the best Bonds that Craig that is, but, but they could have explored the, the character's background a little bit more, you know? And I think with it, with a series, with it, with a, with a young, fresh uh, Bond who doesn't yet know what he's at or what he's doing, you could have an, an awful lot of fun with the character's flaws. Um, and in terms of actors, that, that could play him. I think it is interesting that, you know, Barbara Buckley has been saying that it's a 10 to 12 year commitment and that straight away you're thinking all of the actors that have been in the runnings that are either in their late 30s or, you know, heading towards their 50s, um, you're thinking, well, 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 they're too old. Just remember that, you know, Roger Moore was in his mid 40s when he got the gig. Daniel Craig was already in his late 30s when he got the gig. So, you know, they might not be out of the running, but if we are to go the young route, I'd love to see someone like maybe Will Poulter um, or maybe even, you know, um, oh, the actor's name is, is escaping. Uh, Nicholas Holt, Nicholas Holt as, you know, this young Bond who, as I said, hasn't a clue what he's at. Although I will, I will say, I hate saying nice things about him, but what Andy said there about Barry Keoghan is exactly right. He is the kind of guy that you would believe, <laughs> okay, he was on the right path at some stage, but then he killed someone. So, you know, maybe, um, yeah, maybe Barry Keoghan could work as Bond. The worst what? part was I was thinking during Christmas, I was like, yeah, no, there are two really good choices, but I don't want to say it, but you've extended the olive branch. <laughs> so I, I will, Nicholas Holt, I think is a fantastic choice as well. And he, he's certainly the size for it now. What about Taron Edgerton? I know he's obviously yes. done Kingsman, which yeah. again, kind of just feels like the punk rock bond, but like he definitely, if you see him in Blackbird, which I think we were all in unison that we all, you know, thoroughly enjoyed that series. He, I tell you something, that man can pack on the muscle. Um, I, I don't, what do you think of him? I really want him for Wolverine though. So if I'm king of Hollywood and you can only pick one of them, I'd love to see him as Wolverine because I think he's one of the few people that could take over from Hugh Jackman and there won't be, you know, an internet uproar or, you know, comic book uproar from people. That seems to be the one name that you would would unite the the comic and film universes and and bring us all together. But yeah, Bond, he'd be a good choice too. And if I'm Barbara Brock, they'd be certainly looking to, to lock that down before the MCU get a hold of him. 
Yeah, he's, he's also he's, in line to be the new uh, live action Hercules as well. So he could be actually too busy to take on something like a 12 year commitment for Bond, which is probably the the only downside. But I think I love how like none of us have mentioned probably the two names that have been thrown about quite a lot, which were Reggae Jean Page and Henry Golding. Um, Reggae for me, it's like I'm not sure he actually has maybe the acting chops as much as he has the look. And he can probably do the action as well, as we saw in the trailer for Dungeons and Dragons. But I just don't know if he'd have like the full Bond package. But I would actually be team um, Henry Golding, though. I think he could also be very good. Do you know, Henry Henry's- Golding is, is Henry Golding started to cut across is 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 very good and very well suited for rom-coms and, you know, very light, fluffy dramas. He's very good at those. Reggae, I, he seems like a lovely bloke. I'd love mm-hmm. to have a cup of tea with him. I'd, you know, maybe maybe a pint. The guy can't act. He, the, the, I think, I think people have put far too much stock. I know that sounds very mean in his just, you know, in his dramatic chops. I just think he is a bit of a glorified soap star. I, I, I would not like to see him as Bond. I, I know I have to fully to agree with you on that one, Chris, because one. I would have thought at the time, you know, when he blew up at Bridgerton, that he was going to be a perfect choice. And then he didn't come back for season two. And that was around the time when there was an awful lot of rumblings about who the new Bond was going to be. And then, of course, if you're going to go down a more diverse route, he would have fit the bill. But he's been in a few things now that I've seen. I went, God, he really doesn't have those acting chops, as you mentioned. He, I think he get found out very quick. He's more of a model that has become an actor, it yeah. seems. Sorry, Andy, yeah. you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I was going to say, don't listen to me because I think two years ago we had this conversation and my two choices was Henry Golding and then I saw Snake Eyes and went, no, he can't do action. <laughs> and my other choice was uh, Harry Styles, who, yeah, the, probably oh the, the best set of the Oh, right, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> I was all in. I was like, what do you see from Dunkirk? He's going to be fantastic. He's going to be the next star. And uh, yeah, just uh, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about and better off just going with, uh, with Chris or Olivia's choices there. <laughs> oh, actually to throw a spanner in the works, there's um, one of the actors who's actually going to be in um, House of the Dragon later on. He's playing the more older uh, Prince Aegon Targaryen, Tom Glyn Carney. He could be a very good bond, yes, I think, actually. That's an excellent one. Tom Glenn Kearney, right? He was, in, he he was, was in also in John Kirk. Well. Yeah. yeah, he was in John Kirk. He was on the boat with um, Barry Kogan, actually. <laughs> now, while you're saying that, I'm going to do an old Google of Tom's name. Tom Glenn Kearney. Is, he, is there any Irish there with a name like Kearney? I'd be shocked if there wasn't. But he, he does. Was in I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. He yeah, was yeah. in Rialto. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of got. He's got. He's almost, he almost look very Swedish looking. He's got that kind of Nordic thing going on. That's yeah, what I, I meant from Dunkirk. Good. I just mixed up the names. I thought he sure. was Harry Styles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there no, I, just, I, I was just thinking there and I was like, actually, he'd be a great one. And because he is also like a star on the rise, but prob- people probably wouldn't think of him immediately. But he's someone that is definitely going to be able to tick a lot of the boxes as well. And, you know, like he's a lovely chap also. And we always like to see lovely chaps do well. Well, there we go. There's an interesting one. Tom Glenn Kern. Do what I just did there now and have an old Google of him and see what you think and let us know. Hashtag we love movies. Just a quick one. Uh, Lethal Weapon 5. They, like, I, I can't believe they're still trying to get this off the ground, Andy. Like, and it'll probably end up called Lethal Weapons. Um, but, um, but, but the great Richard Donner has sadly passed away. So that means the director's chair is open, but not for long because the... Uh, the the director in question that is set to take over has been chatting about the possibility of a fifth film. Yeah, the director Mel Gibson, who who you know the reason we are having I think this conversation is because he needs a, a way back in. And just on the title there, I would bet all the money in the world this would be called the Lethal Weapon. 
because obviously we can't call that Lethal Weapon 5 as we saw with you know the Halloween series, the Scream series. We need to give it a different name. I'm one of the few people that thought last 15 minutes of Lethal Weapon 4, it ended perfectly fine. That's you know, mm. It's all gone off. The series had gone far, far away from where it had initially started with Lethal Weapon 1 and to an extent Lethal Weapon 2. And it was this kind of family-friendly action film. This feels like Gibson's going to get his hands on it and try and make this grimy and gritty again. And whatever it is, you know, him and Danny Glover should not be doing action films. Like Mel Gibson, I think, is twice the age now that Danny Glover was when he was trying to retire in the first film. So, you know, they're definitely too old for this stuff now. But <laughs> you know, this just seems like him trying to get a, a foothold back in and until his next, you know, kind of public shaming or whatever lunatic off the rails action he tries to do next. Oh, I don't know. Lethal Weapon 5. Olivia, Chris, would you have any interest? Absolutely not. <laughs> just Let's just be blunt about it. Like they, they need to be left alone. I think a lot of the, the, the classics probably need to be left alone at this point. Um, I know there's a lot of revivals going on with 80s films, with um, Beverly Hills Cop as well. And I know that you know people in this group are very excited about that, but I, for one, I'm just like, we just need some more like new, fresh films and stop rehashing a lot of the old stuff. Well, that just brings us into our next story. And uh, that is there's going to be a new Karate Kid film. And this just seems like it was spluttered out of the mouth of an executive who was at a board meeting last week when it came to some big Sony uh, stockholders meeting. And when someone turned to him and went, have you got any ideas? And they were, uh, a new Karate Kid film. And the thing about this is, though, um, it's not going to be linked in any way to Cobra Kai. So that means that any of the original characters like uh, Ralph Macchio's Daniel, Billy Zabka's uh, Johnny, and then we can go off Martin Cobra, etc. Like, it doesn't sound like the, any of them are going to be part of this. So, th- because the the showrunner, John um, Hurwitz, one of the, well, one of the showrunners of Cobra Kai said, we, we've got nothing to do with this. So we're, we're starting with another blank slate for Karate Kid. And when they've done that before, the two other Karate Kid remakes, the one with uh, Jaden Smith should have been called the Kung Fu Kid. It was it was supposed to be called the Kung Fu Kid. He never learns karate in that film. It's all Kung Fu under the Mr. Miyagi in that film played by Jackie Chan. And there was another Karate Kid remake. Does anybody here know the name of it? No. But there there was, wait, there was a there was a different Karate Kid film. There was another Karate Kid remake, believe it or not, and it went by a different title, and and it was written by uh, Robert Mark Kamen, who wrote the Karate Kid, recycled the entire plot, and it went by the title of Never Back Down. There you go. Oh, I learned something oh, new. Every never day. back down. It is. I mean, beat for beat. The, instead the, of the, the, the MMA series. It, well, there's a couple of sequels that but were there made. There was a Michael Jai White. Michael Jai White did, did, did yeah. Never Back Down 2 and 3. But the first film is its own thing. And instead of a Mr. Miyagi type, there is the the all-knowing master who takes the, the bullied kid under his wing. And it, I mean, he, tur- he arrives at the new school. Uh, Mum has moved ends up coming uh, under the, the the radar of the of the, the school bully gets beaten up wants to get trained by a local 
MMA master this time out and then eventually fights your man in the tournament at the end. Like there's no crane kick or anything like that, but they've got their other kind of uh, ways around that. It's so weird that you say that because one of the things I was going to say about the, the karate kid, I was like, they're probably going to remake it where it's just going to be, you know, MMA instead of karate and try and harden it up a bit like Never Back Down, which I never realized until this moment, a film I've seen a million times is literally beat for beat. This is like, you know, point break being fast and the furious scene for scene. You're like, <laughs> the, 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 the shields have been lifted from my eyes. Like, oh my my God, yeah. It's a, it is. It's the karate kid. It's the, again same writer Robert Mark Heyman. He just obviously just kind of made oh I'll just uh, you know I'll delete that little bit from the old script. You know what I mean? Same thing. So a new karate kid film without the original cast. I think this is doomed to failure. Chris, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. No interest. Nobody wants to see this thing. No, and and I thought it was funny there. Um, that that's been always one of the things that annoy me about the remake with uh, with Jaden Smith. That you know, it, it's not cruddy. It's kung fu. Why isn't this called the Kung Fu Kid? Um, no, and I think that film was barely interested in itself. I, if you're not going to have the original cast in any sort of way, if you're not going to even acknowledge the success of, of, of Cobra Kai, and you're not going to even look at the fact that you know, yes, people went to see the Jaden Smith one with Jackie Chan, but the you get like the review weren't great and it's and it needed that film needed a trim i remember that that thing being about two and a half hours long am yeah, i wrong it was very long no it was yeah. very long yeah it just it just didn't do anything for anybody nobody is asking for this thing the karate kid has had it's you know it's it's triumphant success story with you know with cobra kai and everyone everyone loves that nobody wants this gordon nobody nobody at all andy olivia a new karate kid film do you think they can start with a clean slate or are they doomed to failure? Because you only have to look at Star Wars. And I know we'll be talking about the new Andor series, but it seems like when they stray away from the original um, cast, again, it just seems like they're kind of in very kind of... uh, uncertain territory. Now, you could argue, well, hang on a second, remember the the, the sequel trilogy there? Yeah, but it it, kind of needs to be made by people that have a... I know like with the likes of J.J. Abrams, he basically remade uh, A New Hope and then Ryan Johnson did his own thing. And uh, unfortunately, it kind of went a bit pear-shaped on, on, on there. But I just can't see how a Karate Kid film, if it's not going to take the original cast and do something with them, how there's going to be any interest whatsoever. What do you guys think? Yeah, and I think with the with the big buzz around Cobra Kai as well, and the fact that the, the filmmakers have said, it's like, or the TV series makers, they've been like, we have absolutely nothing to do with this. Please stop asking us because this is as much of a surprise to us as it is to you. Um, I think like the fact that nobody from a production standpoint seems to be promoting it. I'm just sort of like, yeah, Kung Fu Boogaloo can just stay away, in my opinion. And you, you have the cast doing a show now that is the most popular show on Netflix and now you're going to do something that's, oh, this is a sequel to this, but it won't have them and it's not a reboot while this thing is going on. It, it just seems like someone, I had a blind spot. So it reminds me of that scene in, in um, Knocked Up where they're doing you know, the, the the website for you know nudity in movies and the guy goes, oh, like Mr. Skin, the most popular site that's doing this thing that you want to do. And he's like, oh, we, we didn't know about that. This genuinely feels like he walked out of the room proud as punch and someone you know, there's a show called Cobra Kai that's doing the exact thing you were talking about now and just went, oh, bugger. No, I, I, I didn't subscribe to that. Yeah, I just can't see it working whatsoever. Um, but let us know your thoughts. Uh, get onto a Twitter hashtag, we love movies. Uh, that is it for part one of the show. But coming up in the second half, uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, Florence Pugh and Harry Styles in Olivia Wilde's film, Don't Worry Darling. 
Is the film any use? Plus, we'll be taking a look at what's out on streaming, one of which is Andor, the latest Star Wars spin-off. That's still to come on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Welcome back to part two of We Love Movies. Still with me is Chris Wasser, Olivia Fahey and Andy McCarroll. We're going to kick off now with what is out on streaming. Olivia Andor is here. I totally forgot that it was actually even released this weekend. Um, But this is the latest uh, Star Wars spinoff. For those that are Star Wars fans and still feel a bit battered and bruised, um, that will probably be going back for one more hit with the likes of Andor. Are we seeing a couple of episodes drop this weekend or is it just the one? So it's actually three episodes have dropped this weekend and Andor has had, I think, maybe as many release windows as Morbius because it was supposed to come out in August then pushed to September and then pushed back again. And it, it just sort of seemed to be like, we've just been waiting for this series to to arrive. Um, and, you know, it's finally here and it's dropped with three episodes. So at least there's there's a lot for people to sink their, their teeth into. It takes us back to pre-Rogue One and we are following the lead character of Cassian Andor, played again by Diego Luna. And it's a story of how he ended up joining the Rebel fleet and becoming one of their top spies, I suppose, is how you'd describe it. Um, He has his own little mission as to like what he is trying to achieve in life. And yeah, it's kind of his journey to becoming a rebel, which sounds very interesting. But uh, as we will discover, uh, myself and Chris feel very differently about this. (laughs) All righty. Before we hear what Chris thinks, let's take a little bit from Andor. We've chosen a side. We're fighting against the dark. There is an organized rebel effort. Drill down and get a hunt started. You realize what you've set in motion? People will suffer. Time has come to force our hand. At what cost? So there's a little bit from Andor. Now, Chris, Livy teased the fact that both of you are very split on this. Where, where do you side on all things Andor? I was very fond of Andor Gordon. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I was quite cynical going into it thinking that, okay, this is a prequel to a prequel. And, you know, I don't want to... Are we going to spoil what happened at the end of Rogue One? Let's just say that we know how Cassian Andor's story ends and that, you know, we couldn't we couldn't have a proper sequel to Rogue One. A, because it, you know, takes place in the week before the first Star Wars film and B, because of what happens to the characters. So I was thinking it's maybe going to have that, you know, Hobbit main character syndrome where, you know, you're watching someone, but you can't really worry about, you know, are there, are there really stakes here? Because I know this person's going to be all right if we're set five years before the story that we watched six years ago. I I thought this is going to be a bit of a mess. I was pleasantly surprised that unlike other Star Wars series, it's not just kind of, you know, killing time or it's not just, you know, superfluous gap filling, you know, oh, here's an Easter egg from that Star Wars thing you loved. Here's a character. Here's an origin story for this weapon. Here's an origin story for this name. It's very much its own thing. Yes, they're familiar characters, but it's telling a very fresh story. And it's kind of going down a more John le Carre route than a George Lucas one in that, you know, it's this slow. Yes, it is slow intentionally so but slow burning spy thriller and it has an awful lot of fun with the idea of you know you saw Cassian Andor in Rogue One you saw him become this rebel hero well here he is as a thief who hasn't really figured out you know 
who he is even, uh, you know, where he's from. And we get to see his background play out all the while he's, you know, hiding behind corners and, you know, ducking away from police officers. And you kind of spend the first couple of episodes going, what has he done? And we know, you know, we see that, you know, in the, in the very first scene, he accidentally kills a couple of cops and, you know, chaos ensues and he is on the run. But there's an awful lot about, you know, why he was, you know, where he was in the first place, you know, what exactly he's done to kind of, you know, garner such, you know, why the police were on, to, on top of him beforehand. And I, I had an awful lot of fun, you know, leaning into this story and figuring it out. And I think some of the characters presented too were brilliant. You've got Alex Ferns in here as this tyrannical copper who, you know, is kind of... We've got our own Fiona Shaw as uh, Cassian's adoptive mom. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård shows up as a very important person with a very important offer uh, for Cassian. So it's, it's a wonderful cast. And I was saying to you guys earlier too that I love that uh, Tony Gilroy, to- the same Tony Gilroy who wrote the Bourne films, and he also co-wrote Rogue One, but we're very much in Bourne Star Wars territory here, which hasn't been done before. I love that all of those actors that I just mentioned were basically told to keep their natural accents, which kind of makes Andor a very musical but uh, affair in the dialogue department. But uh, yeah, look, I love the tone of this thing. I love the look of it. Everything looks a bit battered and broken. Uh, the pace is excellent, and there will be a payoff. You know, there will be you know action sequences at some stage. I've watched ahead a little bit, but yeah, I was very fond of it, Gordon. Now, okay, so that's all positive from Chris, but Olivia, you're not feeling the same. No, I'm bored. And I love how Chris was saying that like it's slow and intentionally slow and then goes, well, the pacing is brilliant. And I'm like, it is not brilliant. <laughs> it, I think it just needs to be like a, a beat or two, a little bit more on the ball because I, I was bored. Like I've got two episodes in and I was like, okay, nothing's really going on. Third episode. Yeah. Okay. There is a lot more for fans to sink their teeth into, but it was so difficult for me to actually just keep going because I was so taken out of it in those first two episodes. I do agree with Chris, though, that everybody having their own uh, natural accents definitely adds to it because, of course, in the world, in the universe, not everybody's going to have American accents or British accents and things like that. So everyone having their own natural accent does add to that worldly kind of feel to it. But I just could not get into it, really. Like, it is it is such a slow bird. And while I get what they're trying to do with that, it does just need to pick up the pace because this is actually a very long series in comparison to what we've seen from, say, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or rather the Marvel uh, Disney Plus um, series. Um, They tend to be in and around the nine, maybe 10. But now we're getting 12 episodes in season one. And we already know we're going to be getting 12 episodes at season two as well. So it's not even a case of that it's a one-off sort of special where, yes, okay, you need to drag it out over the 12 episodes, but it's going to be a complete story. No, we know that even by the end of 12 episodes, there's still going to be more that's that's being told. So for me, I just feel like it just needs to hit a bit more speed with the beats of what the actual plot's going to be. Um, I don't think that first episode needed to be split into two. I think that um, that could have been just one big episode as opposed to being across like two 30-minute episodes. It could have just been like a 40-minute sort of okay. thing. Okay. So um, yeah, it could be a lot not... tighter and more concise for you, Olivia. Yeah, and... it needed a heavier edit, I think. All right, Andy, you're listening to all of this. Um are you are you burnt by Star Wars now, or would you like that? Feel like oh god, you know I'll go back. You know I it'll still it's like a temptress. It'll it'll take me back in. Um, where are you sitting with it? I think I'm kind of on the same fence as you here. That just I, I I'm semi interested in it, but it's just a huge commitment to go through. Like there's going to be two seasons of this. Obi One kind of came and went for me, and it was just yeah, it was okay. Book of Boba Fett, I didn't enjoy it at all. It's just I'm at the point like I know how this story ends, 
how they get there needs to be something really, really different and really interesting. Chris saying kind of John LeCarrie piqued my interest slightly, but then Olivia Port, cold water on that straight away. So uh, it's one of them that's going to be on my watch list, I'd say, for about three years and I will never end up watching it. Yeah, I'm kind of like yourself, Andy. It's nothing make me jump now for this because like that, it's a character that we know how things finish for them. So to want to see their backstory. I don't know. I just, I don't know if I've got the patience for it. I want to move on though, because um, another limited series that is released this week, it's on Netflix, is uh, from Ryan Murphy, the Uber producer uh, behind the likes of uh, American. What's he, he's done loads, hasn't he? From likes of Glee, he did Hollywood there recently for Netflix. And uh, what's that, was it American Horror Story? American Horror Story, The the anthology series. So Evan Peters from that is the star in uh, Dahmer, which is all about the um, the infamous serial killer, Chris. Now, you've been watching um, episode one. So far, uh, what are you thinking? That it's spectacularly grim, uh, even more so than I expected. Uh, but it does, uh, it is quite interesting that the first episode takes place on the night that Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested and and, and found out after after years of, of just, just savagery. Uh, and, you know, that... How how he got away with the things that he got away with up until that night in 1991 when he brought somebody home who kind of just saw right through him. And what Jeffrey Dahmer used to do is he 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 would go out and you know visit bars and you know take people back uh, to 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 his place. And you know the the guys that he was taking back they just thought that you know they were hooking up. But Jeffrey Dahmer was basically killing people in his apartment. And some of the neighbors you know would 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 complain about the noises that were coming from next door and and even the smells. And on the night that you know uh, one of his uh, victims managed to escape, uh, you know, ran through town in Milwaukee, uh, you know, uh, flagged down the cop car. The cops came to visit the place. And what they discovered uh, after kind of, you know, questioning Dahmer at his door was just horrific. You know, we're talking, you know, heads in the freezer here, Gordon, you know, and, and, and skeletons and evidence of all the terrible things that he'd done inside the apartment. It is quite interesting that Ryan Murphy and Ian Brennan have decided to, you know, give an entire hour over to that story. And I think going into the next nine episodes, that's how we're going to look at things, that every episode is maybe going to be told. I could be wrong, but I think we're going to see uh, uh, several of his crimes from the perspective of his victims. Um, so that doesn't bode too well for, for, for the type of stuff that we're going to see on screen. But so far, Evan Peter performance you know he is committed to it it's uh it, it's 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 a little demented but you know it's 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 quite impressive from peters uh, who's who's always quite good richard jenkins uh, playing his father we just see a little bit um towards the end of the first installment when he's brought in by the police who have you know the unfortunate job of telling this man what their son has just done so it's very much a, all we've seen all i've seen of jenkins so far is very uh, is all reaction but jenkins is is quite good at that um is is, is it gonna is it gonna hold me i don't know the one thing i can say so far is that it is spectacularly grim and that it does exactly what you think Netflix true crime drama should do. They just freak you out and ruin your day, Gordon. <laughs> um, you know, but 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 is it good television? I'm not sure. Do we really need this? That's that's my bit. That's the big question. I don't think we need to see this stuff. And it, it kind of, you know, you could have gone a different route with it. I mean, we had, um, do you remember my friend Dharma a few years yeah, ago? Yeah, it was a really good film. That was great. That, that you know, that was for the big screen and it took the the angle that, you know, what if this kid, this guy was always going to do the things he was going to do. Was it, you know, it was a sort of a nature and nurture story, but where there things, where there aspects about his childhood, where somebody, a classmate, a teacher, or even a parent could have reached out and could have maybe 
push them gently on a, on a different path? You know, was there something there? And it was based on a graphic novel by somebody who went to school with him. And it just explored the teenage years of, you know, what was this guy like before he became America's most notorious serial killer? Before we move on, though, here's just a little bit from Dahmer starring Evan Peters. I don't know what's in there. It's just meat. I'm not eating that. Try to do the nice thing, you know? You're just like my mom. You're telling on me when I ain't done nothing wrong. So there is a little bit from Dammer, which is on Netflix, as we were saying. Now, what is in cinemas? Well, it's finally here. Don't worry, darling. Directed by Olivia Wilde, starring Florence Pugh, Harry Styles. Chris Pine is in there as well. There's been more drama around this film than the actual drama itself. Uh, when it played recently at the Venice Film Festival, more people were interested and what was going on behind the scenes, because there's been a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, Olivia, what is going on, though, with the plot to the film? Alice, played by Florence Pugh, she is living this wonderful suburban life, and she and all of her neighbours are basically in what seems to be a cult, shall we say. That's how it comes across to the audience. Their husbands, they all drive off at the same time every morning with the wives in the driveway, waving them off. And they go to this mysterious location where they go and do their work for Frank, uh, played by Chris Pine, who is kind of the leader of this mission to make the world a better place. Um, Alice's husband is played by Harry Styles, uh, Jack, and their relationship sort of gets a little bit rocky when she starts to notice that things aren't really what they seem and she starts questioning her surroundings. And I think if I describe it any more than that, then we're going to get into spoiler territory, but that's essentially the the gist. Okay, so let us take a little bit from Don't Worry Darling and we'll get right into your thoughts after this. Welcome to the Victory Project. We're all here because we believe in the mission. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing, Changing the, the world. world. That's right. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? Please, what's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if Stop it! No. Jack, it's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. So don't worry, darling, it's finally out. Chris, it's got a, an intriguing premise. You've got a beautiful cast front and centre and you've got a filmmaker who's very much on the rise and has shown a lot of promise, Olivia Wilde, with her last film, Book Smart. So people are hoping lightning will strike again. Has it? No. 
Uh, which is a shame because Booksmart, uh, which was also written by Katie Silverman, who is the uh, screenwriter here, uh, was just a triumph. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know a single person who didn't love that film. And unfortunately, Don't Worry Darling, although they are in different ballparks, Don't Worry Darling is just a, a it's just such a letdown. That said, I think we're going to have more fun over the next year, even talking about this film than, than anyone will have while watching it. Uh, because the drama behind the scenes, like there's no need to repeat too much of it, but I will say that the drama behind the scenes has been infinitely more interesting than the film that came out of it. You, we, you know, we've, we talked about it here before, but it is that once in a blue moon Hollywood gossip spinner where you've got a film that everybody knows everything about the people behind it, but not many people know what the actual film is. You know, I'm talking, of course, about Shia LaBeouf being, you know, apparently sacked, but then he said he quit. Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde apparently falling out on set. Harry Styles, who was Shia LaBeouf's replacement, uh, uh, starting an affair with the director, uh, Olivia Wilde, who was with Ted Lasso, or I should call him Jason Sudeikis, but Ted Lasso. Um, it, there was just so much drama behind this. Let's get to the actual film. Has it all been worth it? No, but it does. I will say a few nice things about it. Look, this film is beautifully photographed. It is just stunning to look at. Um, and I, I, you know, an awful lot has gone into kind of, you know, making sure that the detail, because it is set in this 1950s ex suburbia and what is supposed to be an idyllic lifestyle for everyone involved, the detail, whether it's, you know, uh, costuming or, you know, sets or some of the houses here, the cars, it looks fantastic. Florence Pugh as well. This film at times does not deserve for her. I just thought she was she was just fabulous here. Um, and I don't think the direction or the, the screenplay or anybody else in this thing ever matches the intensity of her performance. She is terrific. What we have, though, I think the problems basically start on the page. And that's that Katie Silverman screenplay. It's got it's loaded, Gordon, with, you know, these tantalizing teams, these amazing concepts, just huge ideas. But it's not nearly as well thought out as it thinks it is because it's all hanging on this massive third act reveal that just, again, is that I I was stunned by it. And I know that Olivia Wilde has basically, but go away and Google the films that Olivia Wilde said that she was inspired by, because I feel as though if we, if we say it out loud here, you're going to know what, what happens, you know, in the last 40 minutes of this thing. But I just thought these are ideas and that is a twist and that is a huge reveal from bigger, better films. And, and it just doesn't really work here. I just didn't really make any sense. It was quite derivative. Uh, the other performances aren't that convincing. A lot of that has to do with the dialogue, but look, we'll say about Harry, God love him. He's trying really, really hard. And that's the problem. And there is an argument to be made that, you know, one, and this argument will only make sense after you've seen the film, that his character is supposed to be awkward and he's supposed to be unconvincing. But I think, you know, and I've heard a few people say that already, but I think that's given him a bit more credit than he deserves. He's just, he's quite wooden. And there's just, for, for a guy who is currently one of the most charismatic pop stars on the planet, all of his charisma has just been sucked out of his performance. I don't know what happened. It's a mess, Gordon. Oh, no. No, originally it was supposed to be played by Shia LaBeouf. And so they're like big shoes to step into, Olivia, for Harry Styles. Like he is trying there, but it just sounds like he was cast for being Harry Styles as opposed to possibly his acting uh, prowess. Yeah, like I, I do think that, look, anyone op- acting opposite, I'd say when Chris Pine and um, Florence Pugh were really like sinking their teeth into um, a scene, you know, nobody could really reach their level. Um but at the same time, like Harry, there were moments when you kind of went, well, that wasn't that bad. You know, there were glimmers of hope there. Uh, but overall, yeah, he was definitely one of the uh, the weaker uh, chinks in the chain kind of thing. Like it, he was just 
there most of the time. Now, as Chris was sort of saying, there are arguments for why he was portraying the role in a certain way. And for those who have already been wondering what accent is he using in it, because some scenes have shown him doing a British accent. Some scenes have been slightly more with the the American twang. That is actually all explained as well. There is a reason for that. And that I was kind of like, that's very clever. And the way that kind of flows throughout the story, now that I have the answer, I'm like, oh, okay, that's that actually makes a lot of sense. That was very clever. He did that well. Um, whether it was on purpose or not now remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, like it, it was like a, a bless him he tried kind of situation. And I think that's <laughs> a, that's just the general thing for the film. It's a bless them they tried because there is a good film in there. It's just overly convoluted and that dilutes everything. And as Chris was saying, it thinks it's smarter than it actually is. Oh no. So there's a disappointment all around for Don't Worry Darling. So maybe a bit of counter-program might be needed. Andy, they've put Avatar back in cinemas. Obviously, this is to uh, signpost the fact that the sequel's on the way and to somehow get people interested again, bearing in mind the first Avatar film first hit cinemas back in 2009. So it's a long old wait for what looks to be more of the same. Now, I, I'm kind of being a bit snarky there now, but I just kind of feel like the, the, the trailer to The Way of the Water, or Way of Water, didn't really do much for me. Do you think that putting Avatar back in cinemas is going to be that shot in the arm for the sequel. Just before we get on, I'm just reading an article here that says, thrillingly kinky and no perfect thriller from Gaty alumni Olivia Wilde. This will be troubling the Oscars come award season. Written by somebody called Chris Wasser. So uh, before, anyway, moving on from Don't Worry Darling there. Uh, Avatar, the, the <laughs> way of the war. Yeah, like you said, the, the trailer done absolutely nothing for me. I'm not a fan of the the first film it was basically Pocahontas with blue people and if you go through James Cameron's CV it is literally the last if you said to me pick any film from there you want to see James Cameron do you want to see him do another Terminator and Aliens True Lies even Titanic I'd have more interest in than Avatar I was like yeah no it is what it was it was a technological marvel and going back to the cinema to rewatch Avatar and having to put those stupid glasses on again I was nearly cursing them because I just remembered all those terrible retrofitted 3D films like Clash of the Titans where you had to pay an extra four quid to see a kind of a bad out of focus version of a film that was already shot terribly to begin with. I hope this doesn't kick off this trend again. But, you know, the whole reason to see this is the story and we've got Avatar 3, 4 and 5. I think he said 3 is almost done, 4 is half shot. I've zero interest in this. I'm watching the trailer, just kind of, had you told me that was footage from the original film, I would have believed you because it's just completely unmemorable. And uh, I watched it like a week ago and still, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I remember bits and pieces. I still couldn't tell you the name of, of the main characters, what any of the, the, you know, the point of any it was, like, oh, yeah, you know, the environment tree is fantastic. It's just dull. And from someone like Cameron, who's such a visionary, who has done so many interesting things with different genres, I'm raging this is the thing he stuck himself on. It is mad that they've gone all in with this um, particular series and that they've been busy working on these sequels. You only feel like, would you not just have got the second film right and then see if there's an appetite because you've left it a such a long time into Warrant uh, a, a big franchise here. I I really do worry for it. I don't know if there's going to be that appetite. But look, it's out in December. We could all be proven wrong. And then Cameron, yet again, just when you doubt him, 
he manages to pull it out of the bag. Well, guys, that's our lot for this week on We Love Movies. Thank you so much as always. Our big thanks to Chris Wasser, Olivia Faye, Andy McCarroll. From me, Gordon Hayden, we'll chat to you next week right here on Spin.